0: to the coaches rising podcast. I'm Joel and this podcast is all about doing deep transformative work with your clients. So today I'm going to be joined by David Trelevin. We're going to talk about being becoming a trauma sensitive coach. We'll talk about the bigger picture of the pandemic and the impact that's had on our nervous systems, on our well-being. How can we actually support our clients to become regulated? if they come to us in a state of dysregulation, how can we help them shift or even a state of maybe displaying signs of trauma? What are we going to do in those moments? That's what we're going to unpack today. What's the kind of role that we can play as coaches? How can we be and what kind of interventions could we make in those moments that will support our clients? So it's a really important topic. I think it behooves us as coaches in these times to become informed in these ways as more and more of our clients are going to be coming to us in these various states of dysregulation. So David is an internationally recognized teacher on this topic of becoming trauma sensitive. He is the author of Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness. He often teaches meditation teachers and coaches and facilitators and his work has been adopted into multiple teacher training programs for mindfulness around the world including the UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Centre, the Engaged Mindfulness Institute and Bangor University's MA in Mindfulness Program in the UK. All right so thanks for listening let's dive in here's the podcast with David Trelevin. So David yeah it's cool to be with you again and um, yeah I, I always love connecting with you. How's things with you today?
1: Yeah, good. I was just thinking when I came on, I, probably we've been three years now, maybe four years we've been checking in around this time of year. Um, and so, yeah, I was looking forward to this. I'm well. I'm living uh, beside some chickens uh, here in California <laughs> that are waking me up every morning, big rooster. But I feel connected to land in this moment and feeling lucky for health, things like that. So happy to be here with you.
0: I'm smiling a bit because I just remember recalling now the um, the moments I've had with roosters, you know, like when I've stayed in nature because I'm not used to that. I live in the city. Yeah. But, you know, man, when they get going early in the morning and you're like, what the fuck? Like, just yeah. <laughs> you shut up. Like, I was <laughs> totally I don't know. The, yeah, I was so this is this huge
1: rooster that's here. They they didn't realize my, my friends that I'm staying with. They didn't realize how big the rooster is. <laughs> it became this massive like you see it. You're like, wow, this is a big rooster. And the first couple of days I was um, this will actually relate to trauma. Uh, but the first couple of days, similarly, I was just frustrated. I'm like, Jesus this early. What are you doing? And so for a couple of days really irritated and then did some research to know, like, why are they doing this? And it sounds like it has to do with both um, claiming territory, mostly about claiming territory and then and danger, just kind of alerting other roosters in the territory, what's going on. Once I got the sense of why, it actually just softened me. Which this is but all the work around trauma has been once I understand why someone's doing what they're doing, which might at first be annoying, but then at some point I'm like, oh, you're just trying to take care of safety on some level, it really softened me. So anyway, yeah, that was my rooster <laughs> experience. So.
0: Nice. Yeah, but I like that. I'm sure we can weave that into our <laughs> into our exploration today. But yeah. that, that that like re, the reframing or the knowledge, the awareness there help you kind of take a different or have a different response to the the rooster um roostering whatever noise it makes
1: totally totally we were actually in the poet um in our power of embodied transformation course i think it was two years ago this came up where someone was uh you know they were often producing the response of like people they don't like me they give me the feedback that i'm um, you know, I'm really aggressive with them. And then what came out was someone saying, you know, there was a really, there was a history there and they came by those patterns in a really honest way. And once everyone found out about it, they just kind of softened like, oh, wow. Right. We're just trying to take care of these basic needs. And, uh, anyway, I, I know we just started talking about a rooster, but I really feel <laughs> passionate about that.
0: Yeah, no, good, good. Well, you mentioned Poet and you're going to be teaching in Poet. I think it's a really beautiful module on becoming trauma sensitive and well-being and burnout, you know, that because of the times we find ourselves in, I think it's just the water we're swimming in with the pandemic and, you know, climate change, all these different elements of the world that seem to be up right now you know and so um i think that's why we brought that in we want coaches to be able to um to be able to support their clients you know um it's all well and good um trying to coach someone but if they're in a a dysregulated state then you know you're that's there's a fundamental place that you you need to get to before you can do any other type of work i think so um maybe we can talk about the the Um, the the ubiquity of trauma as well, you know, like Mm -hmm. I know that's something you named like trauma has become, um, I think it's a good thing, isn't it? It's, 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 everybody seems to know about trauma now and be informed about that. I'm just wondering how you feel about that, man. Yeah, this is a, it's a place I've
1: been thinking about a lot. Uh, Exactly what you said, that there's something very positive about, the growing consciousness around trauma and the impacts of trauma. And then I've also seen it go the other way where I think this idea that kind of everything's traumatic or everyone's applying this term in a way that, uh, there's a term called concept creep, which talks about how in the, in the humanities, often these terms kind of start to bleed into, or they become more diffuse. So there's been this really, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. There's been something very positive about this growing awareness, And then at the same time, I'm more and more cautious about how we're using the term. And um, so, yeah, that's that's something I've been thinking more about. But to your point around coaching, to me, it, it feels like given the historical moment we're in, anyone who is working in a deep way is going to bump into trauma on some level. And why I appreciated that you included it in the course is, it's not automatically a bad thing. I think there can be sometimes a black black and white thinking about trauma, like, well, if we're coaching and someone has trauma, then we have to stop and refer on. But there's actually much more of a gray area about how we hold people well, how we can do it in a responsible way. Um, and so it's this whole mix of like learning how to recognize trauma, working with it skillfully, staying in our circle of competence. But I'd say right now, 2022, trauma is here it's present. And I think a lot's going to come, especially if the pandemic eases where there's going to be a lot more room to feel what has been frozen for a lot of people. Um, and as coaches, it'll just be an important time to work with
0: that. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because I I was just talking to Steve Hoskinson of organic intelligence and one of the things he said, touched me. I think I, I, I like it's relevant here, which is that, um, you know, do we have enough, therapists out there to be able to meet people and i don't know if that's the case you know that actually this is so ubiquitous now that people have been disreg become dysregulated or have this lasting impact from the pandemic that um you know that that we need coaches who can be also informed about this work you know and actually to that point you made that um yeah a lot of coaches say yeah you should um refer people on yeah I, but it's knowing when yeah and it's no it's knowing yes. um how to be with somebody because like you said like more or less, most all people are going to be showing up in dysregulated if not traumatized states at some point you know and so how, how can we recognize that and how can we know what steps to take this is the um
1: there's there's these different levels into me of like simplicity and complexity in the conversation where I agree with, I'm interested in what Steve was saying about, do we have enough therapists? Like on one level, there's a very technical nuanced conversation to have about PTSD, what interventions work, how to be with people, like the, 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 the consummate trauma professional who can really hold someone in their PTSD and work well and then on the other side, <clears throat> we have, I think what you're saying, where there's just a tremendous amount of adversity, whether it's trauma or not, there's a significant amount of dysregulation, stress that's been had. And so for a coach who's encountering someone who's in extreme stress, maybe traumatic stress, what's needed, what will, what, how do we know at what point to refer on? But the one thing I keep seeing is if we just reduce this down, it's often about care, love, presence and attunement and the coaches that i've seen come through coaches rising i'm not saying this is an advertisement for coaches rising it's just often a very attuned group of people and that level of care like simple care for someone's pain can go a long way in terms of regulation in terms of helping someone stabilize and heal so anyway i feel at this this tension all the time of the technical conversation and then at some level it's like we're all human we need to be with each other well. And so I think you and I are going to be operating here in that middle ground.
0: Mm. There's a lot um, in what you just said. And I think we're going to go there, you know, like unpack how can we support people. Um, but I just want to come back to this, um, you know, this sense of like people who have um, been in the pandemic. And um, well, actually, let's even back up a little bit further. So, sure. Um, you said about the ubiquity of trauma, and that, mm-hmm. that's good. But the the also the the downside can be that it becomes uh, a less, you know, th- there's a concept creep, basically. Mm-hmm. And I just um, wonder about, you know, maybe good to introduce this idea here of like shock trauma and developmental trauma, and mm-hmm. what you think about that. You know, that maybe um, on the one hand these these shock trauma events, you know, big. Um, be more extreme events, you know, like a car crash or um, yeah. or, um, a mugging or something like that. And then developmental trauma, which is like more incremental, repeated, yeah. but smaller experiences of misattunement or misalignment with core caregivers. Um, I, I wonder what you think about the importance of distinct, you know, distinguishing between those two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's such a massive
1: issue of like, how are we going to define trauma? And I th- honestly think we're in a collective, on an, always in an ongoing collective conversation about where we want to set the boundaries for trauma. You know, for example, with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, that has huge implications. You know where we set this mark in the sand about what we mean by PTSD, that has implications about who gets treatment and has insurance maybe for PTSD and who doesn't. So here's how I think about it, and I, I love this question around developmental. I think of it like a spectrum, and other people do as well, where on the one end we have stress, we're all experiencing stress to some degree, and then when we get into the domain of trauma, we're, we're really talking about threats to life and limb, where it's really threats to our safety and our survival. So that could be um, actual or threatened death, um, serious injury, you just made a car accident, for example, um, or threat to physical integrity that includes sexual violence or other assaults. So... So that's, we are, we will all on some level be exposed to trauma in our lives in different ways. And then if we continue on the spectrum, we have post-traumatic stress. So just because we were exposed to trauma, that doesn't mean that we're worse for wear. You know, many of us will live through this pandemic and actually come out stronger. We're we're not fragile beings. I want to, we could talk about that too. I want to, as coaches, we can keep truing to the resilience that people have, as opposed to, oh, you experienced trauma, you must be broken. So we have, you know, stress, traumatic stress, and then we have post-traumatic stress and PTSD, where people, our clients, for example, are experiencing these ongoing symptoms. And that's where we start to have to work in a more nuanced and skillful way, I think, as coaches, because when we're in the domain of post-traumatic stress, it's challenging the idea that time can heal all wounds. You know, people who are experiencing PTS often need particular interventions to help them integrate and metabolize the experience that they had that was too much for their nervous system. So, I don't know if it's answering your question, but yeah, developmental trauma. You know, if we're abused as kids, that can definitely be trauma because it's impacting a sense of safety and our sense of survival is on the line. So. Um, know many things can have traumatic impacts and then there's that question of well does that mean that someone will be worse for wear going forward and that's what we need to be thinking about as coaches
0: do you think then that in that um, post-traumatic stress disorder kind of zone is Mm -hmm. that the place where that's the therapeutic invention you know that's the place where if you if you start to recognize your client might be there you know not that you can actually diagnose them necessarily cautious about that but um is that where you would definitely say like okay that's when you need to find a therapist
1: not necessarily and this is what we actually cover when we get into to poet or it's often where i'm spending time these days is people who are working as coaches or even therapists who are saying where's the line at what point would i identify the edges of my own you know circle of competence and Suggest that someone goes and sees someone who's really trained specifically around trauma. I mean, Steve Hoskins, Hoskins' son, is that right? You know, he's training people around trauma. So, so why I say maybe is that um, there, you might have the experiences of, as a coach that someone is experiencing some symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Just let me just name a couple. That could be things like flashbacks. Um, Intrusive thoughts, intrusive memories, dissociating from our bodies, uh, dissociating from, or trying to avoid certain external reminders of the trauma. But fundamentally, we're having a often a dysregulated nervous system. Uh, It's like the accelerator and the brake of the nervous system are really out of balance and out of whack. And so, you might, as a coach, and I've had this. I had a client. This is before I had trained in trauma work, who. Was experiencing dysregulation. They came in. They were hypervigilant, uh, sweating. They were just really kind of tuned up, and that was connected to a traumatic event. And through some work together, which we could talk more about, you know, some breathing exercises, some grounding, they were able to come back into a more regulated place with me in the session, and that was really helpful for them. So if I had have just said well, there's trauma present. I can't work with this. I need to refer on. That might not have been as helpful for the person. We weren't actively processing the traumatic memories. We were just working in the here and now to help them regulate and come back. So generally what I say is, if the work that you're doing is exacerbating the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, if people aren't getting better or more regulated in work with you, that's the moment where you want to refer on. You want to be really humble in that way that just because you're trying your best as a coach and being kind that won't actually help someone untangle their experience around trauma sometimes they need more but other times they just need some simple contact and a good intervention and you can learn that um, as a coach
0: nice and and so are you saying therefore like is that um in the session itself or over time or both yeah so what i mean is yeah you know if you if you see like um yeah they're, they're actually getting better over time or um, or after the session itself yeah then um, yeah that's a good sign but if they're getting more dysregulated yeah you really have to refer on at that point
1: this is such a great question I'd say both I'd say both I think it's both um, really learning to track in a session how is what's happening for my client? uh how you tracking their nonverbal uh, cues so is someone you know taking deeper breaths or they're becoming more agitated how are they at the end of the session but then especially as you said what's happening in between sessions and so if i'm a coach and i'm working with someone who's actively bringing in some trauma they've disclosed like hey i had a, a massive traumatic loss and i want to work with that Then i might say something like okay look well i'm not trained necessarily to work with your trauma but we can work with what's here right now we can do some practices around that but you know i have the caveat here that if at some point it seems like the work that we're doing is actually not supporting you it's actually making things worse then i might encourage you that to to get some different support here but i'll work with you around that so i i do think it's also having very direct conversations with clients and then just saying let's be let's be honest let's tie in how did it go after last session? Did you feel more regulated, or did that think make things worse in the week or two that we didn't see each other?
0: Mm, yeah. Um, well, maybe we could go in here. We see, seems like we've gone in the direction of yeah. How do we support our clients then in that in that process? Yeah. And um, you said also like orienting to resilience can be important too. So I don't know if we go there first, or we want to look at yeah how what are some of the ways we might begin to interact and hold a space for our clients so that they become more regulated.
1: Yeah, this is where the more work that we've done, I'd say in our lives, and you and I have talked about this a couple other times that we've connected, where the degree to which we have turned and faced our own pain, our own struggles, and maybe our own trauma will be a welcoming mat in many ways for people that we're working with and a question for that i often pose to coaches is you know are you able to stay somewhat regulated and centered and connected to yourself when in the face of someone who's talking about trauma and i think that takes practice and coaches we're building this over time it's like Someone starts to get activated emotionally and I can I just feel my back and feel my butt, you know, in the chair and be a welcoming, regulating force for someone. And so I think there can be a way for a percentage of people that I work with. Imagine some people listening where it's like when someone starts talking about trauma, there could be a tendency to start to kind of close down or, or start to orient the client out of a more fearful place. And I think often what clients are looking for is a quality of receptivity that what is happening in the session is fundamentally okay. And I don't mean that means that we'll be processing traumatic memories, but that at some level, that someone experience trauma, and that they're sharing it, that's okay. And we can have a really clear-eyed, open-hearted assessment about what we need to do here, but we don't need to jump on the experience and say, oh, something bad happened here. And actually for coaches to know, especially in this next stretch going forward, if a client actually does start talking about a traumatic experience, again, a threat to their safety, their life, and their limbs, that's a compliment, it's a huge compliment to us that they felt safe enough to reveal it. They might've never talked about this to anyone. So I think that's the first orientation in terms of orienting to resilience. Like people are strong, this person has strategies to help them get through their life, orient to the strength of the person at first, as opposed to their kind of f- sometimes fragility, like, oh gosh, you know, we're have to coddle them or something bad happened. I think that that first move of saying, thanks for telling me i'm right here with you i think that's that in of itself healing um wherever it goes after that
0: could could you say more about why that is i i love that cuz um i you know in some ways i feel like that's a general trend in the world anyway is like maybe it's just like the ubiquity of trauma thing where on the one hand we're um we're recognizing trauma and that's a beautiful thing it's so empowering but the danger is, um, you know, people start to take on trauma identities and, and right. um, disempowered identities, you know. Ugh. And so, um, yeah, maybe you want to comment on that. And also like, um, because what what is it that's happening as, as we are able to like m- normalize or what the word was you used, I can't remember, but just say, okay, thanks for sharing this. Like we don't, we don't emphasize that there's something wrong or reinforce yeah. fragility. I imagine that could exacerbate the the feeling of trauma or the feeling of disempowerment if we did that. Yeah, anyway, that was a bit of arch punch no, stuff. No, no, there. So, so good. Uh,
1: see what you take it. <laughs> it's like how we're received on the other side of a traumatic experience it has been shown to be monumental for us as humans. And I mean that both in the aftermath of a trauma an acute trauma in the moment or in an ongoing way, especially when we disclose it. So let me give you an example. So um, there's a writer named Peter Levine, who some people will know here. He created somatic experiencing, really popular approach to trauma. And he wrote a book called In an Unspoken Voice, which is really trying to bring together a lot of his thinking around trauma. And He tells a story in the opening about having had a, uh, he was hit by a car, he's okay. He's walking through, I think it's a crosswalk or something and someone didn't see him and they they hit him. (laughs) He he describes what it's like to be on the ground and be a trauma therapist. And he's like, well, here I am, (laughs) this is happening. And it's wild because in in the story he tells, his his prefrontal cortex and his meaning making is still online. So it's like, he's observing it, he's watching this happen. And what he says is the the first person comes in and is really aggressive with him and his body is going into more agitation and it almost feels like it's kind of entrenching the survival response that he's having. And then he describes a paramedic coming up to him and making eye contact and being with him and being like, wow, you you got hit and I'm right here. And he describes it, it's so beautiful. He describes like he takes an inhale, he starts to cry and he knows in that moment that the experience, if this person stays with him, it's going to be able to metabolize and move through him. He can sense that. So, you know, people want to read his story, they can. But I'm mentioning that to say there is some research that says how we are met is really important. And if we're not met, that can really entrench trauma. So, if we take the other side, think of a kid who's having a traumatic experience where the adults are not showing up well, or there's not a safe figure, or you know, even when you come home from something hard, and if you, if if a person doesn't really just say, "Hey, um, I'm here, I'm here with you right now," it can actually make things more difficult. So, how we are with people in that vulnerable moment of opening the door around, uh, it could be a trauma, it could also just be a really intense experience they had. I think it was really important. Let just say one more quick thing. I'm in, my, my work is around meditation and trauma and meditation. So I teach meditation teachers and coaches how to work with trauma and meditation. When a student comes to a teacher and says, I'm having flashbacks or fill in the blank, if the teacher goes, wow, both, hey, that happens. And thanks for letting me know. That's one side versus, you know, damn, we got to, we got to fix this or like, whoa, that's weird, but doesn't happen very often. You can, you know, that different shaming or welcoming. And I think we can all learn as coaches just how to true towards that first one. And then of course we learn how to go and and refer on and things like that. But that first hit is really important.
0: So I guess that, that speaks to what you said about, we do the deep work ourselves that, we're able to, you know, remain present and meet the person rather than we're knocked out, you know, who are like, oh, shit, you know, yeah. what's this? Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't, this isn't too much. Or And then, you know, we're misattuned to that person. And um, so it's like the, the, this idea of co-regulating where actually we can be present and co-regulate together. And that sets us off on a different pathway that it sets the client off on a different pathway.
1: Oh, completely. And it's so good for us to know, I think for all of us, what are the um, topics or situations that will tend to have me knocked off center as a coach or mental health worker there. I know for me, it's like when someone brings up a particular topic around abuse, I tend to get pretty foggy and I lose my presence. I lose my ground. And, it's just good for me to know I have to really focus in that moment, like, you know, feel my feet on the ground, be present with this person. So I think it's good for all of us to know where we'll be um, taken off center. But yeah, to your point, it's like, we are psychobiological regulators for each other and why we often need help when it comes to trauma is that trauma will really put our nervous system on frets, especially post-traumatic stress and the way to heal from trauma or integrate trauma is often to have a trusted other who can serve as a kind of regulator that co-regulation so i know in my own trauma work i was working it very int- intrapersonally it was definitely an internal experience but then i needed those moments where i could look up and just know that there was this person there who was breathing <laughs> Their heart, I could really true into their heartbeat, their regulation, and that helped me. It was like a, uh, in the storm, like kind of a a pole or a centerpiece that I could work with. So, yeah, we need it's really helpful to be have done our own work so that we can show up well when people start um, getting activated and work with us.
0: And what's the role because you said you're passionate about supporting meditation teachers and coaches. Who you know work with people, and then trauma comes up. How do you support those people? Yeah. Um, The the role of like phenomenology and you know because embodiment. You know, like when I think about mindfulness and meditation, you know, it's a lot about being in the present moment, cultivating our capacity to to be become sensitive and aware and present. And so, um, what what do you feel are tools inside of that, that might be able to, you know, we might be able to use to support our clients. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think first it's an awareness that more won't always be better when it comes to inner awareness. And by that, I mean, asking a client, like where do you feel that or feel that more go deeper into that when we're getting into the main domain of trauma, that won't always be a helpful intervention. It'll sometimes actually exacerbate trauma symptoms. And that's been the flag I've been flying for a bunch of years now, because the way I came up as a coach was I I learned around somatic coaching. I I was learning to work with the body. And the main question I had was like, where do you feel that? (laughs) Go deeper, which is often awesome because we're in a pretty disembodied culture often, depending on where we are in the world. Uh, but when it comes to trauma, bringing someone into very close focus with their inner world can actually be too much too fast. And that's where, when we're in the domain, as we talked about that spectrum, when we start to get into post traumatic stress and PTSD, we need to be pretty nuanced and careful about when do you lean in, when do you back off, when do you have someone tell you more content, when do you actually pay attention to something more resourceful for someone so that's the <clears throat> that's what we can learn um, inside of this work around trauma sensitivity is how to really start to recognize what someone needs um, in a particular moment but what i'd say to your question around what a, what's a great tool is actually purposely working with what's often known as a resource so connecting someone With something that feels regulating, supportive, increases their sense of well being, of connection to self, even a sense of maybe joy or um, feeling good on some level, uh, that can be a really helpful intervention at an early stage. So we ask someone, tell me, you know, tell me what you do to recharge, or tell me what has you, brings you a sense of calm. And if it doesn't, then we explore that. We can, if they don't have anything, we can explore that too. But I mean, I'm kind of curious for you, Joel. It's actually really helpful. There's an experiment here where when we hear other people's resilience or their resourcing practice, it actually has a calming effect on us too. So do you mind if I ask you, like, what are you yeah. doing these days? What's What's your resourcing? What's your kind of go-to practice these days?
0: Yeah, I have I have. I have really, because you asked me this question before and I've really Did expanded it. It's oh, yeah. a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I do, um, there's a few now, one is, is like looking around, you know, um, being drawn to things. So I might, um, you know, like just notice often it's actually, if I'm, I don't have it right now, but say a plant or there's a window with some nature sky and, and a tree, you know, like often I get drawn to that and I'll just notice it and it, and I'm like, ah, oh, just feel a sense of kind of, um goodness hmm. from looking at the sky or the tree um that's one of them and another one that's um this is very personal it's opened up for me recently is is um uh, uh, feeling rooted on my chair um often my perineum perineum depends which side of the atlantic you come from <laughs> yeah. is um is is has become like a real um grounding resource for me in the last months and uh, if i i like locate myself there if i feel it directly i'll start to feel a sense of of like okayness and deep trust and rootedness hmm. so but it really depends on yeah i think it's good for me to have like a number you know so i don't have to rely on one if it's not available then i can move to a, a different one if you know what i mean yeah, different awesome. channels
1: yeah so There's having the channels i think for that's actually key work with clients is having them have, say, two. I mean, appreciate your examples. Having two to four go to uh, resources channels is a great thing. Almost like I could imagine clicking it like a dial. Like, let me try this one. Let me try this one. And what's important is it's not about avoiding difficulty. It's that we we will be naturally pulled like a vortex. Our attention will be pulled into paying attention to traumatic stimuli, and by that I mean say we're having these uh, dysregulating sensations or painful sensations or intrusive thoughts, We'll, we'll naturally pay attention to that because of the negativity bias that has to do with our safety and survival. So it actually becomes an important practice to true our attention towards objects that bring us that sense of well-being. Again, not to try to avoid the difficulty, but actually increase our capacity to feel it. And this is where thinking a lot about social media and just the ways I, when I see the news, it's like, I'm just truing over and over again to catastrophe. And it's really difficult to kind of pull my attention towards where I'm more resilient um, because ultimately we need that to integrate trauma.
0: Yeah. I think that's, you brought up a lot of really important points there. um, That, yeah, I, I, that's why I found like looking around orienting powerful for me um i was introduced to that concept because um sometimes it's like if i'm think, you know if i'm feeling um dysregulated and then my thinking is dysregulating my my uh, my body feels a bit stressed you know i'm just like pinging around inside of each other and and like orienting looking out was actually a, um you know a nice way to um it was a very reliable way to to like um, find something that was um, then beginning to bring more regulation, and so um, and and I just I think you bring in such an important point now about the the world we live in, you know, like that actually we're so overstimulated right now, aren't we, with the amount of news we're consuming and the social media and how that's kind of hijacking our Our well-being but our capacity to think clearly um and so being aware of that i think is really important too like that that we need these routines and habits i don't know what you're thinking yeah
1: so much here you know it's like the an actual symptom of traumatic stress or you know significant adversity is is disorganized cognitive processing just like you said you're just kind of pinging around it's hard to really create a cohesive narrative or just stay on on track in in many ways and one of the things i'm most interested in right now is the more regulated we are the more that we can be with complexity and nuance and the more dysregulated we are the less that we can be with that nuance and the more likely we are to be experiencing the world in polarities and so we could unpack the neurophysiology of that if you want to I'm I'm really interested in this where um, Stan Siegel who many of you might know um, his his metaphor around this is this idea of a a river of integration so we all we all our nervous systems or really any system will have a zone uh, where we can experience the most complexity and integration and on either side of that, we have chaos and rigidity. And when we think of how this works in terms of neural processes, when we're in older parts of the brain, which is, you know, and when we're experiencing traumatic stress, it's often the oldest parts of the brain that are online, like our limbic system or reptilian brain, uh, we're going to often be uh, working in. <laughs> we're not working in complexity, we're just trying to be safe in those moments. So we tend to, our ability to be with complexity and make meaning is kind of flattened and we're more in right, wrong, black, white thinking. Do I need to run? Do I need to fight? It's much harder to have um, clear, integrated cognitive processing. And if we are more regulated, if we're in that window or that river, meaning we're our heart's beating, but it's not racing, we can be connected to ourselves, we're more able to be with a diversity of thoughts and experiences. And I just think about this a lot around politics, honestly, right now, where I see it's easy to come to a situation and just see a group of people as wrong and kind of just discount them versus can I actually tolerate the complexity of opinion here and be with nuanced thinking, which is really the newest or kind of most, uh, Yeah, I guess the newest part of the brainstem where we're in the prefrontal cortex, we can actually be with a whole range of thinking and make meaning in different ways. So I'm just really interested in the ways that pressure and trauma will tend to flatten our our actual thinking and our critical thinking.
0: Mm.
1: And then the more regulated we can be, the more we can tolerate and be with disagreement, complexity, nuance. So I'm just interested in how that's playing out on a collective scale right now.
0: I think this is where it really ties into coaching again for me. I mean, God, you know, we we, it does feel so much like that. There's never, I know this, in my lifetime, like this lack of tolerance for difference in, in, um, you know, the public discourse, you know, like the left and the right kind of entrenching, becoming further on the left, further on the right. And um, right in the moments where it feels like we need you know the the capacity to come together to grieve to to recognize the the atrocities that have happened and and the 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 crises we face but in in the face of that to actually you know find this place um i can't remember how you described it with dan siegel's work but you know of of, uh, you know like regulation or connection or synergy those are my words i know um because I think it ties to coaching for me because whether or not we're working with with trauma with our clients we people like we said people are dysregulated you know and and a lot of coaches are working with leaders in corporations in in um schools and communities family you know people who run families they're all and so that needs or one would hope that people in those positions would have access to that level of creativity of complexive complexive um, thinking if that's a real um, expression but complexity of thinking and so we can be it behooves us as coaches to be able to be able to support our clients to to kind of move into that place where they where they access that those capacities yes so. 100%. So to tie
1: into Dan, Dan Siegel's work again, I find the easiest metaphor here is um, this idea of a window of tolerance, which I know we've talked about, but uh, Dan saying any system will have this window where, where they'll be, it'll be most effective. We could talk about healthcare systems or education systems, but for us here, if we talk about a nervous system, we have a window where we can actually, again, as you're saying, make meaning, we have access to our social engagement system, our prefrontal cortex, we're more regulated. And then when we're out of our window, we're more in fight, flight, freeze, we're more triggered, we're more dysregulated, and we have disorganized cognitive processing. So often, our work as coaches is to help people widen that window. Because the wider the window the more stress, adversity and trauma is tolerable and they can still actually be functioning well inside of it. So say, you know, I can connect to myself, I can connect to you more easily or my partner or, and so I think you're right. I do think there's a responsibility because in the moments of a good coaching session, when we're lit up and we're connected, we are supporting someone through that co-regulation to have a temporary, temporarily wider window. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this in a good coaching. When I'm a client, someone's with me, I just can actually, wow, I have access to this kind of like boost around my window. Conversely, what you just named, there is a, getting back to the rooster at the beginning, there is a good reason that there is so much polarization right now which is that there has been a prolonged period of stress and adversity which has shrank or narrowed that collective window of tolerance so it takes less and less to have us end up in black white thinking and it's much harder to actually just collectively be with nuance and complexity and i think that will come back over time but yeah, I mean, it's, it's coaching is where it's at to like really help people widen and mm. be with their lives differently.
0: So maybe we could just talk about how, how do you, um, how do we help people widen that window? Mm. And what are some of the things we can be doing? And also, you know, maybe picking up the, com- the thread of the conversation when we were talking about, you know, being with clients who might be, you know, displaying signs of being traumatized in the moment, you know, like we're, we're, we're attuning to them, co-regulating. So yeah, maybe we can pick up that whole thread. Like, mm. um, yeah. What, what are the kind of things that help us widen our window and, in, in, in our lives and in a session with clients?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the ways there's a um, great teacher named Elizabeth Stanley, who I know that has been through coaches rising or taught through coaches rising. And when she's talking about the window, She'll say, Well, the way that you would widen the window and help a client widen the window is to have them be dysregulated, meaning out of their window, and then purposefully and intentionally come back inside of their window to offer them a practice that enables them to, quote unquote, re regulate. And I'm saying in quotes because, you know, it's not like this is an exact science where we always know we're, oh, we're out of our window here, but you can start to get a feel of it over time. And so the good news is that any coaches here will have a huge number of tools that they're already working with that are helping people to come back in their window. Like it's something that we naturally do as coaches, you know, as you talked about earlier, co-regulating, say, you know, say we're in the same town, you're having a hard day, you're feeling really dysregulated, you come, you sit down with me. And we have a talk for 20, 30 minutes. You feel my breath. You feel my presence with you. You start to take deeper breaths. You feel understood and met. Just that basic level of attunement and connection can help someone to come back in their window. So I'm imagining most of the coaches in in coaches rising or listening would, would already have that. Disregulate out of the window. You're with them. You're present. They come back into their window, more regulated, and you can see that. You can feel it. You know. You know when someone's mm. starting to feel themselves. You hear someone take an audible breath, and then really from there, it's that there's you know 500 other interventions or more of tools that you can be using: uh, a grounding practice, resourcing, four deep breaths, uh, intentional visualization, working with um, commitments someone saying, I want to connect with what I really care about and want to leverage my life towards. Uh, there's breathing practices that have to do with movement. There's so many different interventions. And the art of it, to me, as a coach, is knowing what's needed in a particular moment. That's what's hard, because it's never, as you know, it's not a, it's not a rote formula. It's like, ah, yeah. oh, hey, tell me about, I was with them, um, a coach watching a demo and he said hey just tell tell me about that bracelet that you're wearing and the person they teared up and they told the story and and later the guy was like how did you know and he's like i don't know (laughs) i just i asked what the bracelet seemed like the right intervention it worked so that's the art as we go that we help people once they're dysregulated they kind of come
0: back in what i'm hearing there is that there's a level of training required, you know, to, to, um, recognize the, the, you know, important distinctions that you're bringing in, in our conversation, the window of tolerance, uh, you know, this spectrum of, of like, of trauma and stress that you described. Yes. Um, but, but then, then that's not enough. You know, you also need to kind of, um, learn the art of that work too. So like being attuned to your client in the moment, starting to recognize, when um, might be enough? You know, when are they feeling enough? When is it not the time to probe deeper into a an emotion or a sensation, yeah. and when is it time to make the, have them orient towards another resourcing channel? We used that word before, and and so yeah. Do do you? Um, what's that like for you? Do you? Do, you know? I mean, in one way, maybe there's like. Is there fake it till you make it, you know, like, for example, could you ask the question, oh, is there anything else in your experience right now that's feeling good, you know, mm-hmm. and that might mm-hmm. be, have them find it, or maybe we need to do more than that, you know, don't know what you think. It's great.
1: So this is really what I end up focusing on in my work. And I know we do some of this in poet where we first and foremost learn how to recognize when someone is in dysregulated physiological arousal so that when when would we know that someone's outside of their window that's tricky to see but once you start to notice it you're like oh yeah that pupils a little bit dilated or someone's just their eye contact's different so we start to notice it and you know we give a whole list of those signs but i'd say there's two levels here actually let's say three with coaching so there's coaching with no awareness of trauma and you know i'm just kind of rolling through as a coach Maybe I have some awareness, but I I just treat everything as, um, like, I'm not using these distinctions around trauma. I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying it's someone who hasn't necessarily trained in any trauma work. Then I'd say there's two levels above that. One would be trauma sensitivity, and one is trauma-focused coaching, trauma-focused professional work. So trauma sensitivity is where, and this has really been what we've been talking about, we're learning how to recognize trauma symptoms. And really fundamentally, we're learning how to be sensitive to the needs of a client who's struggling with trauma. Do we know how to refer? Do we know how to respond? Exactly what you said, like, when do we lean in? When do we back off? That is really trying to prevent re-traumatization and do no harm at a fundamental level, which I think is really important right now at this particular moment. The level above that would be Steve Hoskinson or someone who's training as a trauma professional who is purposefully bringing someone into dysregulation and then back. So there might be interventions you're doing as a trauma professional where you're actually intentionally evoking traumatic memories, you're processing traumatic experiences, you're working that edge of the window in a more intentional way. And I'd say, unless you've gone through a multi-year trauma training, you don't wanna start playing fast and loose with activating someone's trauma. Instead, you can be a trauma-sensitive person, which is if it comes up, which it likely will in coaching, how can I respond in a way that kind of keeps me within a circle of competence and also keeps my, my clients safe?
0: Mm, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I think we've listed quite a number of, of the, um, you know, the, the ways that we could help someone r- kind of re-regulate in the moment You know, for example, I mentioned like looking around and finding something that that's, you know, almost like grabs your attention and um, or like feeling a different part of your body. I mean, what what is what about you? Like, is there any um, resourcing channels that you explore that you bring in? Yeah.
1: Music is a big one. Mm. Uh, I really turn to. I really love DJs and the way that they're like, what are they tuning into? You know, what are they? And so I try to actually do that for myself. Like if I am dysregulated, I just got these um, noise canceling headphones, which I love. And so I try to take a moment and say, what would be a genre of music here that would support, maybe it's like downshifting. Like I'm pretty amped. And I need to just come down a little bit. What what music do I need? And nature's huge for me. Creativity, um, dance, feeling my body. You know, it's like trauma pulls us into the past. What are the practices that are going to help me come into the present? Not in some heavy handed way, like, okay, it's time to meditate. That's fine. But what, what would I actually enjoy when you talk about the tree? Like, what could I pay attention to that would feel nourishing? Help me come back. And again, not to avoid, but to be in service of, um, of my life and whoever I'm serving that moment.
0: Mm, yeah, nice. Thanks. Um, music's a particular love of mine. And yeah, I think we, we well, it's just so powerful, isn't it? As a, as a tool for shifting state. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm so happy we have music. <laughs> what an amazing, I think
1: of it as a really a vibrational like something being communicated through sound and vibration and, and it really does impact us. Well, it depends on, I guess, not everyone I guess would love music, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's a, it's a special genre.
0: When I had a challenging time last year, I created a playlist for it. Oh, cool. So uh, yeah. And, and I or like selected, you know, 10, 15 songs that all expressed or had a particular feel inside of them and i would listen to that playlist at points and I, I i'm really remembering now what a resource that was for me actually it's a great um example of what you're talking about that's so awesome so, um awesome. maybe this is a good point just to you'll be teaching in poet and um to share a little bit more about what you'll be teaching about i think we've explored a lot of the things you'll you'll go into in more detail today but yeah if there's anything else you want to name
1: yeah sure well i'm glad that what I'll be teaching in Poet is around trauma. So we'll take we'll take what we just were talking about and, and go deeper into it. So it's little lists around dysregulation, particular interventions, really breaking down that trauma spectrum. I appreciate you doing it because it's attached to embodied learning, and which I think is one of the most powerful uh elements of coaching when we're really working through the body and inquiring into what a client longs for and really cares about that's just so powerful and i'm a pretty big stand that if we're going to do that uh, responsibly and ask someone to really attend to their inner world that we'd know how to work with trauma that we do that in a way that, that we, have, we have a bit of a safety net both for ourselves and also for a client so yeah we'll, we'll go deeper into that we'll look at um we'll tie it in i'm kind of at the tail end I think it's the third or fourth segment, so people will go through a whole arc around. Okay, well, how would you work with the body in coaching, power, and body transformation, and then where does trauma fit into all this? And we'll take a deep dive. And there's a couple of great guests that will be coming in as well. So that's um that's what we'll be up to.
0: Nice, thanks. And I also want to uh, point to your work as well. Where can we find out more about you and your work?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks. um Well, on my website, there's a free webinar. So if anyone goes. Like, for example, why would someone in meditation run into problems if they've had trauma? So I, I did a free webinar in there just to explain that for people, that there's a reason that uh, where we pay attention matters in meditation and just some some tips and tools. So if anyone wants to go deeper into the contemplative aspect that's on my website, which is um, treleven.com you can find it
0: there. It's free. Awesome, David. Thanks so much. Uh, like, um, I, I just enjoyed the energy of this conversation a lot, and um, the way you think about this work and your 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 kind of expertise in it, you know, shines through. So, thanks so much. Thanks. It's always fun to be here. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I just want to take one minute to tell you about our live online coach training program, which is now enrolling, called the Power of Embodied Transformation. It's really about how do you How do you wield the power of embodied change? Thinking alone won't work. Thinking our way towards transformation is not enough. So much of what we've become, our habits and tendencies, our blind spots, patterns of reactivity, live in the very tissues of our body. So in any transformational work, we need to descend beneath the mind, however brilliant the mind is, so we can access this transformational arena that's what this program is going to teach you how to do. It'll teach you how to take your clients on a somatic journey of transformation through an arc of transformation from how do you help your clients create embodied commitments? How do you help them to recognize these embodied patterns that are living them in a compassionate way? How can you help them begin to open up their embodied life so that they can begin to embody new ways of being that help them thrive in what is most important to them. And also we've got this extra module in there this year which is about how do you support your clients who are coming to you and they're dysregulated? The pandemic's on, there's a lot of things going on in the world. People are dysregulated. Some clients are coming in displaying signs of trauma. It behooves us to become sensitive, trauma sensitive in these times. So, what kinds of interventions can you make? How can you be as a coach that can help your clients in those moments? There's a lot in there in this program. We've got an incredible faculty. We have people like Richard Strozzi-Heckler, the grandfather, the founder of the somatic coaching lineage. Amanda Blake, a brilliant teacher who can teach about embodiment and the neuroscience elements of it. We've got David Trelevan, author of Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness. Stacey Haynes, an Alta Star, Master Somatic Coach from the Strozzi Institute. Deb Darner, who is an incredible teacher of how do we apply polyvagal theory in the work we do with our clients. And Dan Siegel will be teaching. He's a real pioneer, founding father of this field of interpersonal neurobiology. So just a few more things I want to say. What do you get when you sign up? Well, you enter into this trajectory. There's 18 live workshops 90 minutes long each, and they are very interactive and experiential. The teacher's going to be there doing coaching demos, answering questions for you, taking you through exercises. You'll get four integration sessions where you really practice what you're being taught. Everything is downloadable and transcribed, so you can really immerse yourself in the learning. And there are six bonus recordings, pre-recorded, Featuring people like Peter Levine, Rick Hansen, Wendy Palmer, Stephen Porges, Bessel van der Kolk, and Elizabeth Stanley. So, how can you sign up? How can you find out more about it? Well, you want to head to coachesrising.com forward slash power of embodied transformation. That's coachesrising.com forward slash power of embodied transformation. Enrollment is open now and the program runs from the 4th of March this year to June this year. as 2022. Just a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.